0: we have a Bible here, would you like to turn to Romans chapter 10? Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge Since they didn't know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This is in the section... Uh, that Paul begins at the start of Romans chapter 9, when having spoken about our security, if, if God has called us, if God has chosen before time was that we should belong to Him, then we do belong to Him, and nothing can change that. He's spoken about wonderful security in God. Uh, because of God's eternal purpose. And then in chapter 9, he begins to raise a problem that he talks about through uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And the problem is this, well, what about Israel? Surely they were the chosen people, and yet they didn't believe when the Messiah came. So did God change his mind with them? And Paul is answering that. He's, we've looked, those of who have been here over recent months, we've, we've gone through chapter 9, and we've seen how he answers that, and he continues to deal with that now uh, in these verses. And just looking at the section that I've read, it occurred to me there are so many things in that short passage that we could home in on very profitably and spend time looking at. For a start, where Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. It's a remarkable statement. Given the treatment that he had received from those very people, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, and verse 24, he says this, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. His response to that my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they should be saved. Anyone else might have thought they've got what's, they'll get what's coming to them. They deserve it. But his sincere desire for those who have treated him so cruelly, his sincere desire and prayer is for their blessing. Remarkable. That's one thing we could look at. And then we could look at this thing that he says, My heart's desire and prayer to, to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And yet in just the previous chapter, he's been saying God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. If God has prearranged, predestined who should belong to him, we might well draw the wrong conclusion. Well, what's the point of praying then? It's already all decided. No, he, we, we don't pick and choose with Scripture. He said, God has chosen And my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them to be saved. Yes, we believe in God's call, and God also tells us to pray. We could look at that. Or we could look at this whole thing of his his insights. When he sees their stubborn resistance, he sees what they've done when the Messiah comes, he sees the cause of it. They're zealous for God, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. He sees their problem. And it's that third thing that we're going to be looking at this morning. Maybe the other things we'll look at some other time. But the nature of their problem are people who are zealous. I testify about them. It's like he says, I I long for them to be saved, but actually there's something good we can say about them. They are zealous for God. And clearly they were. Whatever their faults, they have a tenacious zeal for the things of God. And Paul knows that, of course, because of his own background. And he gives us a glimpse into that in Philippians chapter uh, chapter 3 and verse 6, where he says of himself that he was born of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and so on. then he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, before he was saved... He was zealous, zealous for God's law, zealous for God's standards. And Paul knows that was his background and he sees it in those who are persecuting him now. They are zealous for God. Zeal takes many different forms. There can be those who enthusiastically volunteer whenever volunteers are asked for. They're just zealous. You say, we're going to have a night of prayer, they will say, only one night? You know, they're just zealous. They, they want to be involved in everything. They take on maybe two commitments and can't spin all the plates that they've volunteered to spin, but they are zealous. So zeal can be good. It can just mean enthusiastic commitment. At the other end of the spectrum, zeal can just be unthinking, blind fanaticism. And we see it in the world today. People who are zealous for what they believe. But what fanaticism? don't care how many people they take out in the process. But zeal can be good. Just a couple of chapters further on, in chapter 12, verse 11, Paul says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. The exhortation Don't let your zeal begin to lapse. It could be translated there with regard to zeal, not lazy. Laziness can take the edge off our enthusiasm, but it is good to be zealous. Remember what Jesus says to a sad church in Revelation chapter 3, the church in Laodicea. And he says to that church in Revelation 3 verse 15, I know your deeds, You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. They've lost their zeal. They're neither one thing nor the other. But as an example of good zeal, well, you don't have to look any further than Jesus himself. In John chapter 2, there's a quote from Isaiah 69 and it's applied to him. John chapter 2 he's gone to the temple he sees how temple worship is getting confused with all the paraphernalia of selling cattle and sheep and doves for the sacrifices money changing into the temple currency he sees all of that going on and he clears the place out and then it says his disciples remembered that it is written zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was zealous for God's house, not just the temple, but going beyond that, the house that God wants to build. You see, in Jesus, someone who could not be diverted from his purpose, he could not be distracted because he was zealous. He was pressing through. He had a determination. Zeal is good, but it can be empty. And that's the problem here. They're zealous for God, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. It's an empty zeal. They're zealous for the wrong cause. And of course, that's typical of much that goes under the name of religion. In Acts chapter 17, you see Paul arriving in Athens, and he sees little shrines all over the place. They are a very religious people. And he says in Acts 17, 22, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. People who are worshipping... Even when they don't know what they're worshipping. Zeal, but zeal with no knowledge. So Paul here is speaking, in, in, back in Romans 10, he's speaking about zeal. It's not zeal without information. They've got a lot of information. The, 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 the Jews, obviously, they knew the Scriptures. In another way, they didn't know anything. And the word that's used here of knowledge is a word that means of of a practical knowledge, the knowledge of experience. You see, it's possible to know a lot and yet know nothing. It's possible to know things, have information, and yet you haven't really got hold of it. It's not actually working in your life. You're missing the point, and they were very sadly missing the point. In Mark chapter 4, Mark 4 uh, and verse uh, 12, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6. He's explaining about his use of parables. And he quotes this, "...so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding." otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. That was the state of the nation. He was speaking to them. They're seeing, and yet they're not seeing. They're hearing the words. They're not grasping it. The penny isn't dropping. And if you read through the Gospels, it is unmistakable. Jesus says things absolutely explicitly, and even his disciples miss the point. When he spells out... What he's about, what's going to happen, what's going to happen next. And I'm thinking, what's he talking about? Seeing, never perceiving. Hearing, never understanding. Zealous for God, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. Some people, as I said, are naturally enthusiastic. The sort of people who bounce out of bed in the morning and say, what does today hold? I'm not like that. But you get zealous people. They're, they're just enthusiastic about anything. But it's possible to be really enthusiastic and somewhat lacking in discernment. If things are excited, they're excited, and it, whatever's exciting just excites them. And so you get people there in something that's really great, like a time of worship, like this morning. And they say, "Wasn't that wonderful?" And you think, "Oh, that's good. Yeah, it was." Then you're in something that's really dire because of what's being said. But the the music's good. So say, that was exciting. No, it wasn't. Paul speaks about people like that in Ephesians chapter 4. He he, he says how we we need to get hold of truth. And he says in Ephesians 4, he analyzes that condition. Ephesians 4 and verse 14, he said, "...blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men." In their deceitful scheming. Just, he said, we'll be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves. It's possible to be just enthusiastic, zealous, but about anything that's exciting. So we can come to God enthusiastically because the beep is good, the songs are good, the atmosphere is good, and we just feel good. No, we come to God enthusiastically because of what we know. Zeal without knowledge. John Piper gave an illustration of this and I will sort of translate it out of the original American into English. He said, just imagine you're walking along maybe in the city centre and a man comes up to you holding a big bag and he hands it over to you and he says, in that bag, is £20,000. These are my bank details. This is my name. This is my PIN number. Would you just go and take it and pay it into the bank? You would say... Why are you trusting me with that? Why are you trusting me with all that? You, you don't know what I'm going to do next. Why? Give me your pin number. That's ridiculous. Why are you doing that? And he just says, well, when I saw you, I had a warm feeling about you. You would think, I imagine, this guy is certifiable. You. Now, same story. You're walking along, and a man comes up to you, gives you a big bag, and says, in that bag, is 20,000 pounds, I want you to pay it into the bank, this is my name, this is my PIN number, and you say, why are you trusting me with that? And he says, well, I know more about you than you're aware of. I know a lot of your friends, and they've told me things about you, and just as you've been walking along the street, I've been observing you, and I've seen how you were kind to that person, how someone jostled you, and you didn't respond back, and I... I, I know that you're trustworthy. Then you wouldn't think, what an idiot. You'd think, all oh, right, he kind of walked tall. He's observed me. He's seen what I'm like. He knows I'm trustworthy. The second man, you feel honored. The first man, you think, what an idiot. And <laughs> what does God think when we come to worship him? Do we worship him because we have a warm feeling Or do we worship him because of what we know? We've observed. We know. We've heard about you. And this is why we trust you. Zeal without knowledge. Zealous for God, missing the point. It's possible to be zealous, enthusiastic, going for it in a time of worship. But when the music stops, what is there? And what they don't know Zeal not based on knowledge, what they don 't know is, well, verse three, they did not know the righteousness that comes from God. they didn 't know about righteousness as a gift, and what what is that little sentence about that little clause, the righteousness that comes from God? Well, of course, Paul is referring to the gospel as he has explained it and expounded it in chapter 3, verse 21. But now, he says, a righteousness from God apart from law, Lord's got nothing to do with what we do. A righteousness from God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him, this translation says, as a sacrifice of atonement. Others say as a propitiation. One who suffers the wrath of God. God presented Him as one who would bear God's anger against our sin. And we are we are saved through faith in his blood. Righteousness from God apart from law. They were ignorant of it. They are still, he says here uh, in chapter 10, uh, they, they wouldn't submit to God's righteousness. They sought to establish their own. They think that their zeal impresses God. They are trying to build their righteousness They've got to keep going in order to please God, straining at it, very zealous about all the smallest things in the law. They're not submitting, saying, I am a sinner. There is nothing that I can do that is is good enough for God, and I submit. I give in. I'm a sinner. If I'm going to be saved, it's got to be through someone else and wonderfully There is a someone else, and that is Jesus. Jesus who never sinned and became my substitute so that all my unworthiness, all my pride, all my trying to be good enough, he is punished in my place. It's not fair. It's not fair. He did it. He died in my place, and I submit, I receive Salvation. And when you know that, that leads to zeal. They didn't know it. They're struggling away, zealous for God, persecuting, hounding out anyone who doesn't believe with them. Oh, they're zealous. Hey, Paul says, if only they'd stop, if only they'd see that the best they can do isn't good enough for God and submit to a Savior, then everything would be so different. Zeal without knowledge and that's got very far reaching implications for everything that goes in the name of religion thinking that what we do all the observances all the rule keeping and so on thinking that that can ever possibly satisfy god do you remember what the prophet isaiah said really destroys any pride in anything that we can ever come up with Isaiah 64 and verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All our things of which we are so proud that we would offer them to God. It's like a filthy rag. It's fit for the bin. All of us have become like one who is unclean. We cannot establish our own righteousness. We need to submit to him. That is true. It is possible to be very sincere and sincerely wrong. It is possible to be very devout, but devoted to the wrong thing. We need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior, and they crucified the Savior. They thought they were good enough, and they dismissed Jesus. Very zealous for God but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Now obviously the opposite of that is zeal that is based on knowledge. Of course, knowledge alone is knowledge without zeal is really as empty as zeal without knowledge. It's the two together. It is possible to know it all and yet really know nothing. James, in his letter Has a go at people who are proud of what they know. And in James chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. (laughs) Just knowing without the zeal that comes from it is nothing. It's possible to be a very well informed Christian, a theoretical Christian. But why is it there are so many bored Christians? Why is it there are so many compromised Christians? They know stuff, but somehow it hasn't become practical. Somehow they haven't grasped it. Somehow they're seeing and yet not seeing. They're hearing and yet not hearing. And so people get bored. You get children who have grown up within the church. They've been well-taught. Great, they've been well taught, but somehow they've been allowed to be satisfied just with knowing things, knowing Bible stories, maybe even wonderfully knowing their way around the Bible, knowing the order of all the books in the Bible. Wonderful. Unless the penny drops, then bored. I know that. I've heard that before. It's possible to have knowledge without zeal. And when you see people like that, you think, hey, we've got to make it more exciting for them. Let's turn up the beat. Let's make it exciting. The young people are looking bored. Then the music stops. Zeal without knowledge can be legalism, fanaticism, whatever. Knowledge without zeal is just lifeless. Absolutely lifeless. But real knowledge, when we have faced our guilt, when we have owned up to just how rebellious we basically are, just how perverse, just how twisted our thinking is, when we've faced up to it, when we've acknowledged the half thoughts that we'd never want anyone else to know about, when we've seen the extent of our sin, our inadequacy, Our, to use a theological term, depravity. Total depravity. When we have seen that, and when we have seen the wonder of grace, that God doesn't say, I'll let you off, but I'll punish you just a bit. When you see that God is willing to totally forgive because he totally punished his son, when you've seen that, and it's the, the pennies dropped when light has come. It's grace. I don't have to claw my way up to heaven. It's given. In, and it's not that God is turning a blind eye to anything. He knows the reality of it. He knows the, the stench of it. And he punishes son and says to me, you're free now. You are free when you've seen that, when you know that you are justified from all your sin, that there is nothing that God is going to sort of, well, i put that to one side and I'll have a go at them later. about No, no, no. Justified from all of it. Righteousness as a gift. Well then, zeal is the inevitable outcome. It. Zeal is the outcome of a practical, experienced knowledge of acceptance by grace. Your legalist won't worship freely. Your bored Christian needs to be excited in order to worship. But the person who's seen grace will always worship and will always be putting God first because they're just amazed. The zeal that comes from knowledge. they're zealous for God, but their zeal not based on knowledge. When you don't have a practical experience, then whatever. But when you know, then it is impossible to be passive anymore. It is impossible to be prayerless anymore. It's impossible to compromise because you've seen something. It's not you do things because you must, or you don't do things because you mustn't. It's just you know something. You know something, and, and, and God and his purposes comes first. Like Jesus, it says, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus was possessed with a vision of something, and it excited him. He was possessed of a vision for a house that God wanted to build that was not like the temple in Jerusalem. That could go. That was glorious, but it could go because there's something much more glorious coming. God is going to build people together to become a house. People committed together, belonging together. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got a vision for that. Something that's going to span all nations, going to span all classes of people, people from every race, every background, drawn together simply by faith in Jesus to become a new people, a glorious house where the worship of Jesus is central. He's got a vision for that. And it so gripped him. We read Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Zeal. It's not fanaticism. It's enthusiasm for something he knows. Now when you've come into that, you get some of that enthusiasm. You can't just be bored. You can't be indifferent. Your priorities change, not on the basis of rules, but on the basis of what you know. You know what's really worthwhile. You know what really matters. Paul is another one who's clearly got zeal that comes out of knowledge. And we read in Romans chapter 1, he, as he's writing to these people, he says, uh, "He said, verse 15, That's why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Zeal possesses him. Yes, he has suffered, he's been flogged, he's been shipwrecked, he's been, uh, all the things that have happened to him. What makes him go forward? Well, he's got an enthusiasm, it's something he knows. He's got an enthusiasm for something. He knows what really matters. Enthusiasm is not a state of continual excitement that can be a form of insanity. (laughs) It's not a state of continual excitement. But it's, Knowing something. Knowing something, it's a determination that comes out of what you know. A determination to worship, a determination to obey, a determination to put Jesus first, because of what you know about him. Many years ago, when the evangelist Billy Graham came to this country, when he came, first of all, he used to have a, a singer with him, uh, a singer by the name of George Beverly Shea. And one of the songs that he used to sing was, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And as he sang it, his face just kind of shone. And you knew he means this. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. That's zeal. That's enthusiasm. And it changes the way we live. For some people, Christianity is a matter of obeying the rules. <laughs> they, haven't, they don't know. They don't know. It's not about obeying the rules. It's about loving Jesus. You know, children, you know, from your earliest years, there are decisions to make. There are choices to make. There's that club that everyone goes to, and you'd like to join it, but because if you go, it might just get in the way of coming to church on a Sunday, but there's nothing wrong with going to that. Of course there's nothing wrong. But what do you know? I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. For students coming away from home for the first time, when you're away from home, suddenly you can be whoever you want to be because no one knows you. Christian students coming away for the first time, are you still going to live how you did then? What... What group you're going to get in with? What friends you're going to make? What, what priorities you're going to have? Hey, what do you know? What do you know? I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Men, when the World Cup happens and England have got a game on a Sunday morning, well, you can miss a Sunday. You don't have to be here. But I'd rather have Jesus. Or is it football? Football is such a God for many, and it becomes a fanaticism. What do we what, what do we know? What? It's zeal that comes from knowledge. Oh, we know Jesus. And we know He's got zeal for his house. He's got zeal for his church. I want to be part of it from our youngest years all the way through, nothing else, Cubs, Scouts, football, whatever, I'd rather have Jesus. And I'm putting him first. Hey, kids, make some choices. Students, make some choices. Everyone, make some choices. Not, you must. No, 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 you needn't. What do you know? Or more to the point, who do you know? Has the penny dropped? Have you seen it? The Israelites of whom he is speaking, they know a huge amount. They can quote scriptures. They know it. But they don't know anything. Because they've missed the point. And it's possible to be Christianized. It's possible to come within the culture and we've learned things. But do we know and do we know the absolute wonder of God's amazing grace? And you think, hey, I don't care what they say. I don't care if all my friends are going that way and I go this way. It doesn't matter because I would rather have Jesus because I love him. And I love him because, amazingly, he first loved me. Hey, that changes everything. I can't be passive. I can't be prayerless. I can't put a TV program in, as a priority instead of meeting with... You know, oh, you're free too. You're free to watch whatever. You're free to be glued to your, your electronic games, whatever. Let it take over your life if that's what you know. If you know something better, then you go for it. Paul knew something better. It shaped his life. I can humbly say God has shown me something better and it shaped my life. What's shaping yours? They're zealous for God, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. They didn't know the righteousness that comes from God. They sought to establish their own. They didn't submit to God's righteousness. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Are you saved? Are you saved? The sign of being saved is zeal that comes from knowledge. Now, the zeal can lapse, which is why Paul says in chapter 12, uh, we saw it about... uh, Not lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Don't just try and make yourself more excited. Think of what you know. Dwell on what you know. That you know Jesus. You know what he's done. And that stirs the zeal. I'm putting him first. Putting him first. Even if it harms my career. Even if it damages friendships. Even if it gets in the way of things that I really like, what do I really love? It's him. And he's first. Let's pray.